even just traveling, you know, and I would see how people would handle my situation if I would tell them what I was dealing with or what I needed to do. And I thought at some points I thought, wow, they must really have good training here for their employees. They know what to do if someone says I need to cancel because I had a death in the family. We've never trained on that. I've never even thought about that. And now I'm not so sure that those organizations did train on it, or I just happened to come across an employee who has experienced this. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's it going? It's going fantastically, Josh. How are you? Uh, it's going really well. Question. Awesome. Yes. If I were to say Ferris wheel, what comes to mind? A Ferris wheel. <laughs> how would you how would you define a Ferris wheel? <laughs> Maybe this exit sign leads to an exit. So how would you honest, describe a Ferris wheel to someone who's never seen one or been on one before? Oh my gosh. Okay. The word contraption comes to mind, but I don't think that's probably the, the best way to, to describe it. But it's a large wheel in the sky that is that is supported, right? And you as a rider can get into a small car and you traverse the circumference of that wheel. A lot of big words. Um and then you get to see the sights from the top and all the way around. And, uh, you know, depending on the speed, you might get those little butterflies in your stomach on the way down. Um, but it's a great way to kind of see the things that are around you. It's very relaxing. Uh, and um, it's something that every amusement park should have. I agree with that. Follow-up question. If I were to say observation wheel, what would you say to describe that experience? I would say that it's similar to a Ferris wheel, but it's not a Ferris wheel um, in that you're, so I would say the, my personal opinion, the reason to get on a Ferris wheel is yes, to see things around you, but it's also to relax, right? If I'm at, a, at an amusement park and I just want to sit down for a little bit, right? A Ferris wheel is a great way to do that. Now, an observation wheel, some of those experiences you sit down, some of those you stand up, you know, in the in the gondola. Um, but I would say that's much more about taking in unique sights that are around you. Observation wheels are typically much taller than your typical Ferris wheel. And so you'll be able to see farther if they are near a beach, you can see the ocean. If they're, you know, in a really cool urban area, you can see the skyline, you can see other attractions that are around. Um, and they're typically someplace where they're not inside the park, an observation wheel. So you see much more that's not park related. You know, when you're on a Ferris wheel, I'm thinking of the one for some reason that Dollywood was the last one I was on. Um, you see Dollywood, which is really cool. 
but an observation wheel, you see things that are um, much much further out and uh, are not part of the the landscape or the uh, the footprint of the attraction that you're in. Thank you very much for your detail, <laughs> Ferris wheel and an observation wheel. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. <laughs> so today's guest is Mandy Sabrandi. She is the owner of Global Leisure Management, or GLM for short. And her business is operating venues such as Observation Wheels uh, by offering basically these, these turnkey solutions and running the business as if, as if she was owning it themselves, but we get to talk about kind of the difference between, uh, well, the difference between managing and owning and how she takes this approach to offering this full service management company uh, where right now she's uh, she's largely working with, with Skywheel, which there's one in Myrtle Beach, there's one on Panama City. I've had the opportunity to see both of them on the Atlantic Ocean and on the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, and I love hearing about uh, you know how she, how she takes that approach to managing and operating this business while operating it on behalf of the owner. And so how would you describe the experience? Because we get to ask Mandy about this, but you know, in a nutshell, how would you describe your experience on those two wheels? So when I went on the Myrtle Beach wheel, it was in early 2009. It was January. I remember it being a chilly but sunny day. Went on it by myself and I uh, thought it was a, a nice, relaxing experience. And I got to see the Atlantic Ocean. It was my first time in Myrtle Beach since I spent the summer there in 2008 at Hard Rock Park. So it was it was kind of cool to be back there. And that was, you know, it, the, the Skywheel opened after, uh, you know, after that that summer that I was there. So I, I hadn't seen the beach from that angle. Uh, when I did it in Panama City, it was really cool because I got to bring my son on it with me. And at the time he was a year and 10 months old. So he was, uh, you know, not even, not even a two-year-old, uh, you know, hadn't really, he hasn't been on a roller coaster yet as of, as of this recording. So nothing overly thrilling, although I'm getting him excited about the idea of roller coasters. So I'm planting some seeds here and there, uh, but it was exciting to be able to take him on the sky wheel and get him in, and sit in the seat. And then we got to go up and we got to see just this beautiful sweeping view of the Gulf of Mexico and everything around it. And we did it, I want to say probably like maybe late morning, early afternoon so that, you know, the sun was shining. It was a beautiful day. And for me, it was a really cool experience of, of being able to do it together with him. So it was a shared experience. It was a shared experience. But you also were by yourselves, I'm guessing in the, in the gondola. We had one other friend. Uh, okay. And with uh yeah with uh with us as well in our in our cabin so it was a shared experience between us but it's not like there were you know screaming kids that we didn't know or you know other people around so it was actually cool because it was it was an intimate experience it was just our group it was just uh there were four of us in the in the gondola awesome awesome well we get to hear mandy's uh description of the observation wheel and certain to get her perspective on that, we also get to hear the story of GLM, how it came to be. And I have to say, you know, as as, as light as we try to keep this and as positive as we try to keep this, Mandy really went um, over and above in terms of her willingness to be transparent and telling the story of how she got together with her husband. They we're going to start a business and then he suddenly passed away. And to hear Mandy tell that story is it's heart wrenching, but I think there's also some great lessons we take from it. 100%. Yeah. So this is, uh, 
this is an emotional interview, uh, but it's it's so important. Uh, it's so impactful. And uh, we're just very thankful uh, to Mandy for for opening up and sharing it on the podcast. So what do you say? Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Hey, Mandy, welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. We're really looking forward to having you on today. How are you? Grateful to be here. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, really looking forward to our conversation. So to get this started, would love to talk about GLM, Global Leader Management. Uh, can you share a little insight into GLM? Tell us about your operating model and how you work with owners as the operating partners. It's a very unique business model. Yeah. So um, GLM is short for Global Leader Management, and we offer um, third-party management services to attractions owners. So our core business model is to come in and handle everything, just run the business for you. So everything from hiring your employees, managing them, putting those policies in place, running the day-to-day, -day, so um, maintenance, marketing, uh, everything op uh, operations. Um, and then we also do accounting services so we can handle everything on the back end, manage your financial statements. And then if there's um, investor group, we can do it. We do investor reporting as well. So um, it's really just so that the owner can get out of the day-to-day -day, um, and entrust the business in our hands. And then um, we do this through a management and services agreement. And that's typically based on a percentage of revenue. Um, we just launched this year and we're best known for managing uh, sky wheels, giant observation wheels. There's one in Panama City Beach, Florida, and one in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Um, we also do some consulting work so we can uh, help with the development design phase for your operation. Um, or we can just uh, provide services to get you to opening day so that you can run with it after you've, you've opened. So a lot of things to choose from, but really our core is just let us handle it for you. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing I wanted to maybe follow up on, Mandy, is you know, when you have an owner of something, they have a, a lot of investment in that, not only financial, but also, also emotionally, right? And they may say, yes, Mandy, we want you to do all those things that you said you can do and kind of provide this turnkey solution. But I would also imagine at some point, it might be hard for them to let go a little bit. So have you run into that? And if so, how do you, how have you dealt with it? Yeah, I mean, um, for sure, that, that's the kind of owner you want to be working with is one that cares about what you're doing every day for them. Um and I think it's just important that we communicate well and we listen well. Um, so we will set up routine meetings. We'll do site visits together. Um, we we also, we take the perspective of run it like you own it. So our owners know that we're, we have their best interests at heart. And that's how we're operating every day. It's not what's good for us. It's really what's good for you. It's going to be a win-win. Um, so I think it's just really getting them comfortable with what we're providing for them. Can you expand on that mindset of run it like you own it uh, to tell us a little bit about how you're able to really work that in with your operating model, with your team internally? Yeah. It's just a philosophy that I've always had and every job that I've had is what would I do if I owned it? I don't, I, I'd never want to look at something like, well, that's not my problem or, you know, if I'm in this position that I can fix something or make something better, and every employee is, then I want to do that. And I want everybody on the team to kind of have that same mindset. So that that's written as one of our core values is run it like you own it. Like you show up every day like this is your place. You welcome people like this is your home, how you would welcome them into your own home. So um, it's really just part from day one, what 
you need to understand to be part of this team. And then that reflects in how you provide service and then how we um, do our jobs for the owners. And how do you instill that in your team? You know, the, the fact that they should feel like they own it enough so that they have an emotional investment so that they're, they're not saying, Hey, it's not my job. Right. But that's also different when you have so many different personalities that you work with and, and people that are, you know, maybe having, you know, they're, they're coming to work for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one is by example, um, I've done every job at every uh, attraction, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna, um, not get in there and treat it like it's my own. People are going to see that. Um, and I think it's in the way that we talk to each other, uh, and the way that we handle our business. Um, I think a lot can be said for, um, the way leaders come to work every day. You, you've got to walk the walk and talk the talk, you know, like it's, it's just, it's hard to even put in words for me. <laughs> I'm just like, it's just, that's how you are. You know, you're just, you just do it. <laughs> and, and that kind of, it's like someone gets it or they don't. And if they don't get that, they're not going to be part of, you know, the, the long-term team anyway, because quickly, you know, do you get it? Do you want it? One thing that I, I think is really cool about this is this idea of run it like you own it. It's not just a business strategy. You talk about leaders needing to be able to walk the walk, but then even down to the frontline staff as well of of really owning it. And it reminded me of uh, many years ago when I worked at Hard Rock Park, which is not too far from where your Myrtle Beach location is is right now, the or of the Skywheel. Uh, and one of the, I remember one of the, the values that I learned in orientation was they said, own your job. And I thought that that was really cool because it basically said, yeah, you're you know, you're coming here, you're putting on a uniform, you're clocking in, you're working X amount of hours, X amount of shifts, but what are you going to do at that time? And what, you know, what lens are you going to look through when you look at the guest experience, when you look at your work environment? So all of that, you know, it, it ties in cleanliness, it ties in operations, it ties in maintenance, it ties in everything. Uh, so I guess my question is, what are what are some ways that even down to the frontline staff that they can, that even they can embrace that, run it like you own it, when in many cases, the, you know, the, the mindset of, of frontline team members in general is I'm coming here because it's my job and I at least need to make sure I do a good job today, but really elevating that and saying, okay, now I, I actually am, I'm, I'm owning at least my part of it, which is my presence here right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they get, um, they need to get something in return for showing up and it's not just always a paycheck. Um, cause that can, if, if you're rewarding them in different ways and making them feel like they are contributing to a bigger goal. Um, that will help them understand that they are a part of this. They do own it, that the, what they're doing every day does have an impact. So sharing with them what their impact is, um, you know, that you just can't have them show up, do their job and go home. Like you've got to um, share the results. Just as simple as how many people did you serve yesterday? What were, um, what guest feedback did you get? Um, just communicating with them so they know that they're having an impact um, and really making them feel thanked for, for being part of the success. You know, a thank you can go a long way more than um, money. And, um, but food is also always a good one too. <laughs> 
<laughs> food helps, no doubt. Yeah. And I, you know, I've I've always thought that, you know, if people are only looking at their paycheck, like you say, it's not always about money. But if they're if they're looking at their paycheck, and the only um, way that they can measure their um, their contribution is through the number on the paycheck, and there is no thank you, there's no value, there's no um, understanding of their impact. Then that 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 monetary amount is never going to be enough, right? You've got to have again. I'll go back to emotional connection. You've got to have an emotional connection um, to the work. Um, one thing that I'd love love to kind of hear your take on um, as we kind of move away from employees just for a second um, is the difference between a Ferris wheel and an observation wheel. Sometimes I hear them used interchangeably, but I know if there's anybody that's going to tell us what the difference <laughs> is, it's you as the professional. So what is the difference? Okay. So a observation wheel is a Ferris wheel, but a Ferris wheel is not an observation wheel. So um, Ferris wheel is your traditional uh, carnival style wheel, open air, probably a little bit small, probably lights up, but you'll be rocking in it. You might not... Um, you know, I'd say you feel safe, but you're, you just go around a few times and you're ready to get off. Um, observation wheel is a modern take on that. It's definitely going to be bigger, uh, enclosed. So you're, you'll feel really safe. You'll, um, there's heating and air conditioning. So there's a lot more, uh, perks and amenities in an observation wheel. Um, and you really are going to spend your time looking at the view. It's typically going to be in a location where there's something beautiful to see. Uh, and an observation wheel is also a beautiful piece of architecture. So it is a complement to the skyline where a Ferris wheel may be um, just a ride at an amusement park. And an observation wheel really is um, a piece of beautiful architecture. Mm -hmm. So Mandy, we're recording this on Zoom. You can see Matt's background, and in in his background, there's a is it is it a poster there? Is it? It's it's actually a <laughs> yeah. It's it's a it's a. I'll just call it a window covering. It's not a poster. It's actually <laughs> Got it. yeah. It's a yeah. Is is that a Ferris wheel or an observation wheel? That's the very first Ferris wheel, right? Is that George Ferris's nineteen something World's Fair? Well, it says on the bottom that it's from Paris, so I'm not sure exactly where it is um, located, but it does look exactly like that one that you're describing. Um, so I read the book uh, Devil in the White City about about a year ago. Have you read that book? About, no. It's about the eight, 1893, the uh, World's Fair in Chicago, where I live, and uh, tells the backstory of, of George Ferris. And he, he was from Pittsburgh, and he submitted the plan for this. And, they, and, and the reason was because they wanted something to compete with the World's Fair from a few years prior, which was in Paris, where a, an architect or a designer by the name of Eiffel debuted his tower. So the, the Ferris wheel was, was basically invented to kind of compete with the Eiffel Tower. Uh, today, in 2023, we see large observation wheels really popping up all around the world. I can think of a number of a number of you know major cities. Obviously Chicago at you know at, at Navy Pier, we've got uh, you know we've got the wheel there and then Miami and Atlanta and Singapore and London, Orlando, you know, you know, all of those. Uh, really showing up as as kind of these standalone attractions and really very much these these icons if you talk about uh kind of you know having something scenic to be able to see from it uh what's what's the value of say a city or a region adding that to their skyline well it is a beautiful piece of architecture 
So it looks great, um, but it's also something that people know. When you see it, you know what it is. It's not um, some weird building or tower or sculpture. So um, people identify with it, but it is also um, is a showcase for where you need to be. So if you see a wheel, you know something's happening there. So it's, it's a placemaker. Mm. Um, and so you, you can create the destination and use the wheel as the biggest, best billboard for the place where you want people to be. Um, and then they know what, it, what to expect. There's a certain type of um, experience or vibe that they're going to ex expect just from what they're seeing in the skyline. Um, and it's beautiful. And at night with the lights, it's gorgeous. So for somebody who hasn't been on an observation wheel, not a Ferris wheel, but an observation wheel, can you kind of walk us through that experience a little bit? I know you said that, you know, the cabins are enclosed and there's heating and, there, and there's air conditioning. Um, but how would that be different even from that aspect than just going on the amusement park Ferris wheel a couple of times? Well, the size for one, um, the wheels that I manage are about 200 feet tall. So you're going to get um, a more exciting experience because you are so much higher. Um, and the locations that they're typically in um, are pretty iconic. There's a beautiful view to be seen. So um, whether it's right next to the ocean and you get this feeling like you're literally flying over the ocean as you come around, um, or you're looking at the mountains, um, or a beautiful skyline, you know, just to see the city from that vantage point. Um, it's it's just awe-inspiring. It's just something that um, you won't forget, you know, and you can do it with your family, friends, with anyone. It's not um, something that a lot of people are afraid to do. You know, you might not get your mom on the roller coaster, but you can get her on the wheel. Um, so it's, it's something enjoyable that can be done with a group um that's memorable too one of the things that i think is is very cool about it is that nobody needs to you know stand on the side and you know hold everyone's bags or you know needs to need, needs to say I'll, I'll watch from the ground i'm sure that there there are many people who probably say you know what you know maybe i'm afraid of heights you know maybe i'm not going to go on it but the the restrictions themselves are are very minimal uh i had the opportunity to uh to visit the uh, panama city skywheel uh last fall and went on it with my toddler and he wasn't even two years old at the time. And it was really cool to be able to experience that with, you know, with him at that point, he'd been on a couple of carousels, which, you know, which is nice, which are fun, but uh, it's definitely kind of the, the biggest, I would say probably most extreme ride he's been on. And even that yeah. is still, yeah. you know, still pretty tame. Um, so tying that in kind of with the, the operational aspect of it, uh, what I also think is, is kind of unique as well is that while most rides or most attractions seek to say always fill in all available seats and space and you know if, on a roller coaster got single riders fill in the empties I, an observation wheel isn't necessarily like that there, there are probably instances where yeah maybe the cabin's filled to capacity but also the family gets to enjoy it with each other and kind of without perhaps you know other people so there's a little bit more of more of an intimate nature kind of of the experience as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and it, it'll depend on which size wheel, which city you're in, not all operators do it the same. Um, I don't wanna put strangers together because it is an intimate, um, special moment. So um, the, in, the, in the gondolas on the wheels that I manage are smaller. So where London or Orlando, they have large cabins that you can walk around in. The Skywall cabins are smaller and it's a seated experience. So. 
um, we don't put strangers together. And we, um, there's 42 gondolas on certain models, 30 on others. So there's uh, capacity to get groups through the ride doesn't take that long. So we don't see it beneficial to, you know, load the gondolas to capacity. You could fit six to eight adults in there. Um, so we might have gondolas that only have two people have a couple in there um, versus there are some experiences that with large cabins that you can walk around and get a little bit more space between you and the strangers. But um, I prefer a private experience. Um, like you said, it's more intimate. So you don't want to have strangers in there with you. Yeah. You know, at the same time, I'm thinking about this, that it's, it's sort of a singular intimate experience, but it's also shared because as you're going around, you can see people in other cabins, right? So there's that bit of it where you could make faces at them or something if you really wanted to. Um, so could you talk about that and maybe how that, that combined or maybe there's a better word for it, kind of experience, blended, uh, you know, um, experience uh, really lends to taking the, the, the guest experience to the next level. Yeah, you, you definitely can see, um, I mean, you wait in line with, with strangers, you board with strangers, they're getting on at the gate next to you. Um, but then you get to experience it alone. And then um, sometimes you can't see into the gondolas, you know, next to you, depending on where you're at, you know, um, geometry. But then you'll get off at the same time, you'll go and see your photo, you might see the group was behind you on the wall. Um, and that's a funny thing, too, is people forget that they got their picture taken in the queue line in front of the green screen and then they see it printed and they're like, oh, we didn't know you had a camera in there. Like, no, it's just <laughs> magic. Um, it is still private. There's no cameras in the gondolas. Um, so it is, it's kind of like a shared anticipation and then you get off and then you kind of share your experience um, as you're exiting. So I, I haven't really thought about it a lot like that, the connections that you are making with, you know, people in line, and then you still get that nice private time within your own gondola. Yeah. The other cool thing about the experience as well is that there, it, there's, there's the experience as normal, but then the, it can be kind of changed around or it can be enhanced. It could be upgraded. I know Skywell kind of has the, the VIP options that are perhaps within a gondola that if you want to have a more enhanced experience, then you can do that as well. And then it can really be even more memorable and even more, you know, uh, uh, you know, an incredible memory than kind of waiting in line and going through the wheel and taking the standard experience, which, you know, which is also enjoyable. Yeah, we have VIP gondolas. It's a special gondola with a glass floor, different seating and, um, you know, we have, so we'll, we'll do some marketing around different events. If it's Mother's Day or something where you might get flowers or candy if you want to upgrade to this gondola. Um, so there's, there's all different unique ways to try to change the experience. Um, and we, we also do sunrise flights. Um, so you, it, it's an experience unlike anything else is to be 200 feet in the air above the ocean watching the sunrise. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, and in some locations, seeing the sun set as well, um, you know, both ends of the day, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we, both. Yeah, we, do. we do sunsets yeah. in Panama City Beach and sunrise at Bertle Beach. Of course. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, Skywheels, which is obviously a big part of your business and what you do. But I also know that, you know, before we started recording, you mentioned that GLM is really focused on other types of attractions as well. And, you know, I'm wondering if we can step back and talk a little bit about kind of how GLM came to be and, and what are the, some of those other um, types of attractions that you're looking to uh, work with? Yeah, sure. So um, GLM, really, just like I said, it just launched this year, but it's uh, born from years of being in the attractions industry. Um, I actually, unlike probably most leaders in the industry, I didn't start my first job at a theme park or a water park. Uh, for me, it was in real estate. Um, I I started as in like lease administration, and then um, and uh, another interesting thing is that I've never been on a interview like a job interview. So <laughs> like I've always been recruited or I've worked for a couple different places, but um, was started in lease administration and then was recruited to go to a bank. Of course, people that know me and um, so I, I did a few years at a bank, and then it was my uncle had worked at the first real estate place. And he had moved on to somewhere else and recruited me to come there. So I left the bank and did, um, it was receptionist. Then I did property management and um, that organization grew and I took on all kinds of roles and did office management. And in real estate in like 2006, seven era started to scale back a bit. And so, you know, we, I think we had grown to like 15 and then we really skinny down to three, three of us. But as all these positions were being eliminated, we still had the work to do. So I just said, I'll figure it out. I'll do it. You know, like I took an accounting class. I can, if, if I have questions, I'll call the CPA. So um, it was always like, just figure it out. Let's do it. And so from that real estate company is how the Skywheel model started. So they had some land um, next to the highway and they were looking for something iconic to just so people could see this piece of real estate. And so they were looking at like a balloon ride or whatever, but it morphed into conversations about the wheel. So met with the manufacturer and they said, this is the product you want, but you don't want it there in St. Louis. You want it in Myrtle Beach, put it here. So that's um, what we did. And uh, that group um, partnered with another St. Louis real estate company, Coke Development, to start Myrtle Beach. So this was the first wheel of its kind in the United States at the time just a bunch of real estate people. Nobody knew anything about attractions. So I was like, okay, let's just figure it out. So um, that was my job. Let's just figure it out and operate this thing. And then uh, we wanted to do another wheel. Like, let's just go all in on attractions. Opened another wheel in Pensacola, Florida. And that's where I met my husband. He was actually part of the installation team that was putting the wheel up in Pensacola. And so... Um, very quickly, a couple of months into this, into that operation, we knew it wasn't going to work out. It wasn't a good location. So we needed to move the wheel. And as part of that, um, that those um, that real estate development company had to sell their ownership in Myrtle Beach. So um, I was working tremendously hard, just three of us getting this other wheel open, whatever. And I was probably burnt out, uh, to be honest, and just had a bad day at the office one day. I said, you know what? I'm done. I'm quitting. So I quit and then um, had no idea what I was going to do. And the people at Coke Development heard that I had quit. And so they called and said, well, you have a job here. And Okay. Well, I'll, I'll stick with this. So then I went to Coke and um, continued to operate Myrtle Beach 
um, grew my career at that company, um, became vice president of attractions. We developed the second location, Panama City Beach, while I was there, and um, reconnected with that guy that I had met in Pensacola. <laughs> and uh, so Eward was from the Netherlands, and I had told him then, if you ever come back to America, call me. So he came back and he was doing some work um, installing all the wheels. So Seattle, Washington, D.C., Pigeon Forge, all of those wheels he was installing. So I would just follow him around wherever he was and visit him. And then he uh, had to go back to the Netherlands. And so he went home. He, he I think he was Skyping me or something. And his friend said, when are you going to come over here? I said, you know what? I can be on a plane tomorrow. So... <laughs> Flew to the Netherlands and then we did our long distance thing and got married. Um, decided that it would be best if we lived in America because we were both doing this wheel stuff and it was blowing up in America. So um, we bought a home in St. Louis and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. But I continued to work at Coke and build that. And he continued to really, he was probably involved in any wheel in the world, um, whether it was maintaining it, refurbishing it, or installing it. Um, and so then he became an owner in that company, Global Leisure Services, so GLS. Um, and so um, we really started to, to work more together. We Our paths would cross on wheel projects and things. And we had um, our first daughter when the St. Louis wheel was being installed. So that worked out perfectly for us because he was able to kind of be at home and work. <laughs> and so, um, then the pandemic hit, and that was also good for our family because we got to be together or um, we were typically traveling all the time. So now we had this time at home. Eward took the time to design his own Ferris wheel. So now we're at, um, I'm operating these wheels, he's installing them and now designing and going to be manufacturing them. So we said, you know, it really would make a lot of sense if we would go into business together. We had worked on a big refurbishment project in Myrtle Beach together. His company led that project. And so we knew, okay, we can work together and it'd be great. <laughs> so um, I was actually on maternity leave last year. And I, you know, we talked a lot about it and said, when I get back, I'm going to have to approach the team at Coke and talk about this. This is my dream. I want to go off and do my own thing. And I know, Josh, you had uh, someone we talked about that book traction. Someone on the podcast recently was saying that she was on maternity leave and read this book. <laughs> and um, what it talks about is that the, and how I always saw a skywheel within a real estate company was that the skywheel was a shiny object. So if you're, if everyone on your team isn't focused on one thing, you're not going to get there um, as fast and as, as, as um, good as if everybody was working together. So um, to me, it always felt like, well, we had real estate, we also had Skywheel, and I wanted to be part of a team that was just Skywheel, and I wanted to build attractions. So um, it turned out while I was on maternity leave, the, the Coke team had decided they wanted to make some changes internally. And so they called and the way the universe works, um, they had wanted to outsource their real estate and attractions management to a third party. Well, that's perfect because I would like to start my own attractions management company. Um, and it wasn't an immediate yes. You know, they had in their mind, they were sending it all together to one firm and 
um, again, to me, it was what's best for this asset is it be in a company that is focused on attractions management. Um, and I, it was really, they knew Skywheel was so important to me. They could see that this was going to make a lot of sense for GLS and GLM to move forward. Um, and so they decided, yeah, you know what, we'll, we'll take a chance on Mandy. We, we worked with her for the last 10, 12 years. So we know that it's, it's going to be good. Um, and so this past December, um, we launched, uh, GLM and, um, we were supposed to start everything on January 1st. So I would also take some employees from Coke development that would come over, uh, to GLM and we would start, um, and it really was a blessing to say, okay, I'm going to start my own company, but I'm going to start it with having clients already and um, doing work that I already know and a team in place that already knows me. So it really was like my biggest dream coming true. Um, and then in the same week, um, it was my worst nightmare. Um, Eward had just been on a trip um, overseas. Um, I think he was in Dubai with his business partner uh, working on a new project. He stopped at home in the Netherlands to see his family. And he came home and um, we went to go you know, to meet with a lawyer about GLM, go open up our new business bank account. And then um, Friday, it was... The holiday season so we went to six flags to enjoy holidays at the park and see the christmas lights there and saturday we did our date night and my sister had spent the night because she had watched the kids um we have two we have two daughters and then sunday morning he went to um to sock to play soccer like he always did on sundays and um they played early that day because it was the World Cup final. So they all wanted to get home so they could see the game. And uh, I got a phone call from a friend who's actually the maintenance manager at the St. Louis Wheel. And um, he was playing soccer with Eward. And um, Eward had a heart attack while playing soccer. And um, he never made it home. And uh, he scored a goal and they thought he was celebrating, actually dropped to his knees. And Joe uh, called and I made it to the hospital before Eward got there. But um, yeah, it was the worst thing I could ever imagine of happening to me. Um, so it's just to have your biggest dream come true and alongside your worst nightmare is just, it's really unbelievable, honestly. Mandy, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that with us. Um, can you talk about how you, uh, what, what those next days and weeks looked like for you while you were, you were managing grief while also launching this new business and and finding the priorities and and for your your family and and your two kids themselves yeah um well thankfully i worked for a company that um 
treated me like family. So while we were supposed to start on January 1 and I had employees coming with me, they said, we'll just keep it as is until Mandy's ready to go. So everyone could stay employed and didn't have to worry. Um, and so when Mandy's ready, then we'll, we'll do the transition. So um, we, we finally transitioned in mid-February. You know, I needed to plan a funeral and have my in-laws fly over from the Netherlands. Um, so we had a ceremony here and then we flew back to have a ceremony overseas. Um, and that was, that happened within a week, you know, we had Christmas and then, um, I wanted Ewart to be buried in the Netherlands. So we had to go through all of that logistics, um, and fly over. And so that took about a month. So I was really in, you know, just trying to get through those things that whole month. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be in a position where I could take that time to do so. That's something that I've kind of learned like, three days for, for bereavement when you suffer a profound loss is that's just not enough. You know, um, a couple of years ago, we had a, an employee who had lost his wife of 30 years. And that was the first thing we said was, we've got to tell him, don't worry, you know, don't worry, take this time off. And so that was one of the things we said, well, that's how we're going to handle these situations. And let's let our people know that and, and put that in our handbook. We'll give you your two weeks off minimum paid. You don't need to be worrying about this right then. Um, and so you know, I had to get through those logistics, um, also get up every day and raise two girls. My daughter was four months old at the time. Um, and I could, E-Word was the hardest working person I've ever met, like nonstop, just go, go, go. So of course he's an inspiration for me to keep moving, you know, keep going. And I was a little bit shocked at first when people would say, well, are you still going to do GLM? Of course I am. You know, this is my dream and I, I can't just stop. Um, this is what he wanted as well for our family. So, um, you know, he's really the motivation to live like he would live, um, work hard and enjoy life. Now, enjoy life is not as easy right now, um, but I want my children to enjoy life, you know, like I need them to live like he did. Um, so, you know, I, again, so fortunate to start my own thing with a client who is like family and, um, with a team that understands and has been so supportive through this whole year. Um, and really the, the attractions industry because Eward was so well known. Um, it was really, I think probably it was maybe for the first funeral or something, all the wheels in the country lit up orange. Like that was just so powerful and so beautiful to see. Um, and he was instrumental in the Paradise Pier in Biloxi. And so they've now, um, one of their mascots is now Eward the Dutch duck. So it's really, it, it actually looks like Eward. They hadn't made in his impression, but my daughters can go there now and see him in the mascot form. Um, 
if you had met Eward, you just loved him instantly. He was so charming and just um, so full of life and just, just unlike anyone else. Um, and that's really how I can keep going is because he was such an inspiration. Um, and I hope that also one day we will build his wheel and um, that will be such a monument to him. Well, I think if if you've taught us anything else uh, during this uh, this uh, conversation, Mandy, it's you'll figure it out, right? You'll figure out how to make that wheel happen, I'm sure. Um, and I really appreciate what you said about the the way that you extend that care to your team. Like if they have to, you know, go through that situation, they need bereavement. Um, I'm curious if there's any other things that you take away from that particular experience that has even, you know, reshaped or shaped your leadership um, on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Um, what's so crazy to me is the only thing guaranteed in life is that we're going to die, that everyone we love is going to die. And some people say taxes and death, but taxes you can avoid. <laughs> you absolutely cannot avoid death. And we just, we don't talk about it. Um and I remember in those early days, just like walking around or like, you know, going to an airport and just thinking, I'm not the only one here. I'm sure I'm not the only one here that is experiencing this. Um, and, you know, I had to interact with a lot of people in the beginning through those logistics. I mean, a lot of my family and friends helped, but some things I had to do myself and um, even just traveling, you know, and I would see how people would handle my situation if I would tell them what I was dealing with or what I needed to do. And I thought some points I thought, wow, they must really have good training here for their employees. They know what to do if someone says I need to cancel because I had a death in the family. We've never trained on that. I've never even thought about that. And now I'm not so sure that those organizations did train on it, or I just happened to come across an employee who has experienced this. And they're on this side of the bridge with me. Um, but it is something that um, I want us to think about and talk about and um, review how we handle those things. Because it's, it is, um, it will have such an impact on somebody when they're in these moments of life, like how you treat them. Um, I've had good and bad, you know, good and bad that I'm never going to forget either way, you know, and some of them at the same organization. So um, I think it's important that we, we do training in this, um, you know, we do diversity training and we do guest experience and um, all kinds of different things, but we're never really talking about grief. So I, we need to have those conversations and I can't say that I've jumped in at work and been like, okay, we need to implement this because it's, I'm still in it. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's something that we need to talk about with our, our team of how we handle people. And I think when you think about losing someone you love and those memories you make with them for me, and I don't think it's just because we are a part of the attractions industry, but attractions are a big part of that, um, where you make those memories. And I I'm sure at every park today, there's somebody walking through your gates that 
maybe just lost somebody and they're coming back because this is where they went every summer with their dad or, you know, um, and you'd have no idea. And so we just need to, um, I don't know, be more thoughtful that there are so many people carrying so much grief. You're absolutely right that it needs to be it needs to be trained on needs to be discussed more with you know with employees and and that uh, you know every every guest you interact with you know yeah a lot of people they're they're on vacation they're you know they're happy they're smiling you you see what they're experiencing outward uh, but you don't know the the reason that led them to to be there like you said that you know that person that, that maybe they you know they they came here with their father when they were young so they're going back to you know to relive those memories and it's I you know it's so interesting because we you know, as, as operators, we, we probably won't see 99 and a half percent of that. Uh, but I imagine that it, it could, it could at least influence the mindset when, when interacting with guests or even when, you know, when interacting with employees and, and leaders and looking at, you know, that, that the culture of, uh, you know, if, when somebody comes and, and rides the observation wheel, it's, it might be a lot more than what it appears on the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Mandy, as we uh, start to get close to the the end of the interview here, and, and once again, I want to thank you so much for for opening up for sharing so much with us. Uh, what's What's next for GLM? What's uh, What's on your your near term horizon? So keep going. <laughs> We're just gonna keep going. Um, we. Um... You know, we're, we're looking to hire more people and grow the organization and take on more clients. We're doing a bit of consulting work, continue to um, operate the Skywheels. Um, but continue to make eWord proud is really what I'm trying to do. Um, to build on his legacy. Yeah. Well, I'll echo Josh's comments about, you know, just thanking you for for your time and for everything that you've shared with us today. I know that message of speaking about grief um, is one that I hope people will hear, but also take to heart. Um, and, you know, I, I thought about your example of, you know, somebody coming and saying, oh, I need this time off because something has happened in my family. And I could see a manager saying, okay, what day was that? You know, instead of saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, extending the empathy first and then figuring out the rest of the, you know, the, the time off and who's going to cover and all that, all those logistics. Um, but I think sometimes we go to those logistics first, if we don't have that, that personal experience. So again, thank you very much for, for sharing all of that. And, and like Josh said, opening up about that. Um, if somebody wanted to learn more about GLM or wanted to get in touch with you personally, um, where would you send them? They can go to glmattractions.com and you can find me online. It's Mandy Sabrandi, but with wise, <laughs> Sabrandi with wise um, on all of the socials. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Mandy, as we start to wrap this up here, I do have a, a final question for you. And, uh, and it's about observation wheels and it's about your, your personal preference. Do you like a day ride or do you night or do you like a night ride? For me, I love a day ride. I think it's beautiful to see the sights during the day. At night, 
I prefer to be on the ground looking at the wheel with the beautiful lights. But if you're going to ride, I say go for a ride during the day. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Yeah. I think that's a great perspective. Um, so Mandy, as Josh said, we're, we're kind of winding down here and um, I would like to give you the opportunity to see our signature sign off line, if you wouldn't mind. Yes. <laughs> we are all attraction pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.